BuzzFeed words. There he claims this isn't about publicity while he's publicizing it at a press conference. He claims it's not about money when the system itself is about money. The civil justice system is premised on using money to balance the playing field when the powerful have wronged the powerless. Every team I've talked to, whether they're interested in watching or not, has put everything on hold. Because no way he's getting traded by the draft, and there's no way they're going to get for him what they were hoping to do, getting a bunch of different teams bidding against each other. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And it's not just a defence that's looking rusty as allegations mount, motions are filed, and Casario keeps on spending. I'm joined by Matt Weston of Battle Red Blog and Battle Red Radio. Matt, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's springtime. The birds are chirp- chirping, and you know the Texans are very bad and and maybe maybe dumb. We'll talk more about see it, what we think about their offseason been so far. Uh, but despite the state of the football team, at least everything else is very nice outside. Everything else is very pretty and beautiful. Yeah, well, I think we perhaps can't bury the lead as we're, well. Just literally as we've come on, there's some more news of signings trickling down from the team. But I suppose the lead really is the is the Deshaun legal allegations last week. We recorded episode on Tuesday last week. They just kind of started to emerge. I think subsequently we there's another ten uh, names or another ten cases being filed. And it's important to note it's a civil court. Um, but the Deshaun allegations you've started to see just in the last hour, his legal team with Rusty Hardman come back and try and put their uh, shots over in terms of what's going to be probably a bitter public battle if it does you know, if it doesn't necessarily go all the way to court. Yeah, it's it's bizarre and like I don't know like I know it's something that I don't know really anything at all about at all whatsoever. Like I don't know really anything at all about the law and like some about sexual allegations isn't really anything like you know one I know anything about it all and two something that I feel like I'm in a position to speak of really at all. So I was just kind of listening to what Mike Meltzer and Steph Stradley have to say because uh, they're people with law degrees who know a lot about the team, know a lot about the NFL in general. And so I've been kind of listening to them. But uh, regardless of what happens like with this, if Watson you know pays anything out, if it turns out these are just allegations, not true. Uh, there's no good end to the story. You know, it's either Watson's, you know, um, reputation's kind of tarnished forever, or it's, uh, you know, these people try to make some money or something happen where they're trying, you know, whatever, whatever the reasoning was for uh, why these allegations came out. Like, I don't, I don't, whatever happens from this, there's not a good ending to this, you know? And it's already shown like a complicated situation with the Watson trade talks into an even more complicated situation and that was even possible at all to begin with. And so I don't really have a good feel for it. I don't really know anything at all for about it. I just know it's it's really bad all around. And no matter what happens from this, it's going to be bad regardless. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this football this team's not been about football for a long time. And I think that's just the, the depressing reality of it. Probably since the Kansas City playoff loss and blowing that 24-point lead, it's just been one thing after another and it's as what's as JJ Watt said every week it's something and it's almost like every day it's something um and and I think you're right I mean who will know what truly if it does go to court or it might be settled out of that to stop it being as messy but I mean I just can't stop coming back to the fact fact Matt that Deshaun put himself in a situation that he should never put himself in and He's got to know better than that. I know he's only a 25-year-old guy, but when you're paid what you are in a position you're in, you've got to be you've got to have a bit more 
smarts about you to put yourself in a situation that could potentially, you know, lead to a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, like, it's, there's just so many allegations, too, that it's kind of one of the things that we've learned recently, or I guess I've learned in the past few years, is that if there's any sort of rumor at all, there's usually some kernel of truth to it. And so this whole sort of thing, too, like, whatever he did or didn't knew, um, we don't really know at all. But we do know that there's some level of truth to, you know, the allegations that have come out, whether, you know, if it was, like, coerced at all or something occurred that, uh, you know, maybe typically doesn't occur in an environment like that. I'm not exactly sure at all, but it, it does sound like something, you know, happened there. And like you mentioned, like it's not, you know, we can we can kind of think about like what somebody should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Um, but regardless of that, like you mentioned, it it isn't really a spot where you think you you should be in as a 25-year-old, as like a professional athlete or anybody in general, you know, like anybody in general being kind of that same spot. It's not something that, it's not like an action or like a, a pursuit that you should really be involved in. Uh, you know, considering what he was looking to do and everything else, but it's all it's all very weird, and I don't really, I, again, like no matter what happens out of it, it's gonna be bad. And if I had to guess what will occur, I think he'll probably just pay the money and settle out of court and make sure it doesn't get to that point and go through everything else and try to you know keep some level of you know this is what you have to kind of buy, it, I guess, because of what happened and uh, try and move on from there as quickly as possible it would be my guess how this thing kind of turns out. Yeah, and the, I, the, there's a. There's a, a, a sworn affidavit from his uh, market manager, Brian Burney, um, who, who said that he spoke directly with one of the cases and they asked for $30,000 and sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot of mudslinging and very public and it's going to damage everyone involved. Um, but in terms of that perception of the show, and I think that's, as you said, it's changed forever. And I, I think in some ways it protects perhaps deters from his image or his position of, you know, the Texans lied to me. That's why I want out the whole, you know, almost being the sort of holier than now, the, the true stand-up character only wanting to, to win. I think that image probably now based on this has been tarnished somewhat and perhaps his position as being effusive in wanting a trade is, it's not all within his control as well. You know, as a secondary point to that image probably being damaged now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like even even to some of those things where it's like regardless of you know if if it was coerced or if it was forced or anything like that, um, like still like you know the the ins- the messages that have kind of come out and the text messages that have come out as well, you know like he's still like stuff happened in that environment, you know. And again, like if you're getting a massage, like you're there get a sports massage, and that's kind of like how it works. And like athletes pay a lot of money to take care of their body and that's kind of like a resource and that investment they put into their body is by you know, making sure they can recover quickly to get back out there to you know, get through their off season workouts or be able to, you know, play the following week after taking, you know, the hits that these guys take. And so I think just even in that, in that situation, it's not something that you know, should really be occurring um, at all. But yeah, I think just for that reason alone, especially with him kind of being like a, a stand up, like high character, you know, guy, not only just being like a great quarterback and a great player, but he's been like the good soldier. He's been like a great teammate. Everybody's had you know nothing but like beautiful and great things to say about him. And as his fans, like we have nothing bad to say about Watson as a player, as a person. And so this whole thing coming out, it kind of you know tarnishes like what you know he had a perfect image, and now like there's like we're all human. There's some sort of crack in that image that you know we've all had for him. And we don't know these players directly at all. We don't know anything about them directly. But you take a guy who's like again everybody has a perfect image of him. And now that's no longer the case after this has occurred, regardless of whatever the end result is now. Yeah. And I think there's a, uh, 
there's a precedent set because obviously you've got in parallel to the to the civil case, you've got the NFL's investigation who like to be, you know like have been arguably heavy handed in their in their punishments they've they've handed out in previous cases, um, and you've got obviously the Ben Roethlisberger president as well, which I think was six games, eight games in that region that he got that he got suspended for and wasn't actually proven. Um, to commit any of the crimes. Um, so what do you think is a more likely outcome now? Being traded, because I think that draft deadline or the natural deadline that was emerging for the draft, that pressure point is probably no longer there. Do you think it's more likely he's suspended for some of the season than he is traded? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the idea was that he'd be traded before the draft, they were going to trade him. And by hiring David Coley and by uh, you know signing Tara Taylor to the contract that they had, and some of the offseason moves they made too, I, I think even though there wasn't like a complete unison or like a real like unified goal or plan that they've had from some of the offseason decisions they made, the trades that they made, it de- but like overall I think all signs kind of pointed to Watson being traded. And like you mentioned, if you're going to trade Watson, it needs to happen before the NFL draft. So that way you know what you're getting for him if you do make that trade because, again, like draft capital is the most important resource in a rebuild. And so with the allegations that have come out, it now makes me think that I, I couldn't imagine like Watson being traded before the NFL draft. And uh, I think this is something where he'll be on the roster for, for probably another year now. I know there's reports like from Peter King and, you know, you kind of see other things on, on Twitter that, you know, this hasn't really dampered his trade value all that much and teams are still interested in him. And I think they are, but I think it does, you know, damper his trade value, you know, somewhat. And I think for like the Texans perspective, if you're going to trade Watson rather than just like, you know, pay him not to play this year, you have to make sure you get a package that, you know, is worth it. And so I don't really think, uh, I think anything that kind of ham- hampers that package too, what kind of leads to them maybe holding on to him for another year. And I think in a way, like try to be there for him in the situation that they're in um, to try maybe see if that's a way they can get him to stay here as well too, you know, later on as well. But it, yeah, it's just weird. Cause like, again, like it's, it's something that's already complicated um, without the allegations. Now with the allegations, it makes like, you know, completely zero sense to, to us, you know, sitting here in front of our computers and phones and just reading the news, you know. Yeah, and there's a I go back and forth on this in terms of when I first heard the news, I thought, well, this is actually, you know, albeit terrible circumstances, you don't want to make light of any of the, you know, potential allegations. But in terms of football and sense, I kind of thought there's a chance here that or that there's an opportunity, not that they might be savvy enough to recognize it, but you could make amends and stand by somebody um, in a time where, you know, their character and their personality was called into question. And regardless of, you know, the the validity of that, I don't think the National Football League's probably a place for virtue and morals. And, you know, we've seen that over a long period of time. Um, but there's a there's a there's almost a, an opportunity here to go to them and, and, and say that we supported you in the time you need, you know, with that allow you to consider to stay. And I think that's an opportunity for that. So I, I kind of go with, go back and forth on the, on the point. I think a couple of weeks ago after that David Cully interview, the caretaker Cully, um, that he <laughs> that he he sort of slipped up and said, right now, uh, as our quarterback. But then actually subsequently listened to an interview with him. And right now is one of his go-to phrases that he constantly uses. I don't know if he was doing that purposely. Um, to try to try and sort of uh, even even out the cracks potentially in some of his, his thinking or his slips that he made up. But at that point, I thought 100% he's gone. 
you know, the challenges are now insurmountable. But now I, I thought this would potentially give them a chance to, to make amends. And because ultimately this team is, it just, I, I you almost make your peace with it because you feel like it's coming. It's like almost in a, a long-term illness and you know it's coming and it's got an end point at some point. You've kind of start, you start to prepare yourself. But then the more you think about it, a Houston Texans team without Deshaun is probably not one that's worth anybody's time, effort and attention for as long as perhaps they search for for a player like him prior to this. So is there any kind of potential scenario you think where they can work this out with him in light of you know the hard time that he's going through right now? And look, he may be, he may be proven guilty and, and, you know, and his forever tarnish may affect him mentally, so like Tiger Woods, etc., but I think there's there's potential opportunity in every kind of dire situation. Yeah, and and like even like the tarnishment thing, like you mentioned about you know Tiger Woods and you know Roethlisberger, like everybody knows that those men did that sort of thing. But like if enough time passes, there's always the opportunity for I guess like retribution in the public eye. Like even Michael Vick, you know, he was able to sign a hundred million dollar contract later on the Philadelphia Eagles, and you know, again, like it's all speculation. We don't know exactly what happened or didn't happen. I like I can never I couldn't imagine a world where like Watson is in a spot um you know from the allegations that came out where he can't play football ever again or if he's suspended it's for you know if he's if it's suspended I could see it be for like you know four games or six games and you know, he possibly sells it out of court you know something like that occurs after the NFL he does their investigation there's always like you know he'll have the heat and you know the vitriol for you know a year or two and then the door is always open kind of for you know people to like him again because that's usually how the new cycles worked. And I know it's a different time now in 2021, uh, but that's usually just how it's always been every time one of these uh, sets of circumstances comes up. But uh, I don't know, I guess the only joke I can make and make a lie of the situation is at least, you know, thank God Deshaun Watson has Jack Easterby in the building. Cause this is what Easterby is here to do. And he has, you know, Easterby there who can be able to, you know, help him and guide him. And this uh, circumstances like he's guided, you know, Derek Rivers before, or, you know, the wide variety of other players who, really like Easterby and the things that he's provided to him too. But I do think like this, I, I think there's a chance that Houston be able to maybe salvage the situation. But I think it still kind of comes down to the fact that like Watson doesn't want to play for Houston anymore. And I think now rather than being traded before the draft, I think he'll probably be traded next year before the draft. And I do think like Houston's set up to be like, you know, a four or five win team, you know, with Tyrod Taylor running like a run heavy offense if it comes down to that as well too. But I still assume that Watson will be traded. Um, so we'll be trade sometime, whether it's you know, before the draft this year, or before the draft next year. Yeah, I've always thought he'll never sign another contract. It was just how much of that contract he potentially sees out. I think you've got a you've got a, a situation now in 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 the current modern NFL where things are fluid and players want to move and and the the, the people staying with the one club for the entire careers probably a thing of the past. And certainly we've seen change from. Casario's approach to free agency. We've had four trades. He's given out over sixty million in guarantees. I think we're at forty odd transactions. Um, and I don't think free agency took a traditional pattern this year in terms of you have the big signings at the start, and then you have you know the second, third wave, etc. I think the suppressed salary caps probably played a big role in that. But the Texans were on their own unique path with Casario, but. Um, as I put in an article on podcasttexas.com this week, I'm not quite clear what his strategy is. Yeah, I, I'm not either. Because, like, on one hand, it's like, well, they're 
they haven't like gone full rebuild and at the same time they they have gone full rebuild like they made decisions like you know swapping you know picks for Marcus Cannon um they made they made decisions to you know keep David Johnson here and they made decisions that are kind of more based around like you know this team this year right now I think the signing of Tyron Taylor is a great example of like having a backup for Watson but you don't sign a backup quarterback with the ability to earn your 12.5 million dollars unless you're thinking he could be the starter and so there's this weird gray area from decisions that they made this year and uh, my my question for you though it's like I know they've signed a bunch of different players and it's a one-year short-term contracts but like do you think any of these players are good you know because like a lot of people have really lauded and applauded uh, Nick Casario for the the strategies taken to sign a bunch of players you know to short contracts to try improve the overall like quality of talent in the roster but I think a lot of these guys aren't very good so what's your opinion on the players that he's signed so far I think everybody's probably suffering, suffering, which I looked up this term actually, and I was going to put it in the article, but I chose not to. Um, but I think everybody's kind of under the effect of retroactive interference. And I th- and effectively that is when people learn new information. Um, it, it interferes and impedes with previously information that they, they can't recall as well. And I think it's just a case of the team has been so poorly run for us, for you know, a good two-year period, people don't really remember what it's like when you know Rick Smith managed to trade a tight end for a seven-round pick who never played a down in the league. You know, and you and, and make trades that may favor you slightly rather than grossly disadvantage you. So there's a, I think there's a, a sort of a learned behavior of people that because there was a trade or because there was a sign-in that we didn't pay well over the odds for like Eric Murray, Randall Cobb, or we didn't trade somebody and didn't get anywhere near their worth back, that's a good thing. And I think it is in a sense, but that's, you know, it's like saying, well, you know, you did a great job at work because you turned up today. And I, I, I don't think any of these guys are good, um, to be honest, Matt. No, I don't. Um, there's a couple, we can come on a couple that I think of. But overall, I think you've had... Guys sign one and two year deals, and that is partly a league wide thing because the 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 new TV deal doesn't kick in until twenty twenty three, and so there's been a sort of general trend towards that. So there's there's been short term deals, and people say, well, he signed a lot of guys on short term deals, but he signed an unprecedented value, and people go back to, oh well, the Seahawks did this, and you know other t- teams did this. But I think the difference there between the Seahawks doing that was they had their long-term head coach, in it, and I don't think we do. Yeah, and I think I think it's a good way to put it. I think it's really like people who like this are like, well, they didn't give Kevin Pierre Lewis, you know, three years, thirty million dollars, like they gave Eric Murray. You know, they gave him, you know, two years, six million dollars, and so or whatever ended up being like that's a good contract, and they gave Malik Collins one year, six million dollars instead of two years, twenty million dollars, and. They traded a six-round pick for you know Ryan Lindley instead of a third or fourth-round pick like Bill O'Brien could possibly have done, and so I think like the the bar is so low that even like a level of competence, uh, you know, has like really been very exciting for a lot of the fan base. Whenever it comes down to you know a lot of these players aren't good, and so the list I think I have the whole list of it, and I kind of want to read them out just because it really kind of sets the example of just like the level of talent here. They so they signed Tay Davis, they trade for Ryan Izzo. They signed Desmond King, Cole Toner, Cameron Johnston, Trey for Ryan Finley, 
They signed Dante Moncrief, Jesse McCray, Joe Thomas, Andre Roberts, Terrence Brooks, Chris Moore, Alex Erickson, Cameron Gregor-Hill, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Terrence Mitchell, Mark Ingram, Malik Collins, Mark, Trey for Marcus Cannon, and Shaq Lawson, Seinfeld Lindsay, Tyrod Taylor, Derek Rivers, Christian Kirksey, Hardy Nickerson Jr., and Tremont Smith. And like I think 90% of these guys are bad. They're not really NFL quality you know, sort of players. And the, the thing about these signings too that considering he made a lot of these on the first day, and so he used up a lot of his calorie, a salary cap space up on the first two days by getting players who aren't bad that you can sign these guys in August. You can sign these guys in July. And like you don't have to build your entire team in March. You have plenty of time before you can actually you know, build out your roster. You have until September to build your roster out. And like uh, Christian Kirksey is going to still be there in May. He's still going to be there in June if you can't find a linebacker replacement. But what you do is you, it's a, it's, there's an opportunity cost involved, though, because by signing these guys in the first two days of free agency, you don't have the same cap space. You don't have the same flexibility to sign the, the veterans that get released later on, to sign the players that are actually talented to your contracts that uh, that you can still get them on, but are just actually like good players. Like Desmond King's a good player. Philip Lindsay's a good player. Um, these are guys that you can sign to short-term contracts like he did, but because he devotes so much cap space and, and contracts to you know, bad players like you know, Joe Thomas and Terrence Brooks and Cam McGregor Hill, he lost the opportunity to be ready for the next version of your Desmond King whenever he comes along too. And so I do think like I like the idea of the short-term contracts and like the short contracts he gave out in this type of year. I just think he went about it too quickly and just signed a bunch of bad players. Some of the opportunities there to sign good players on short-term contracts, and, like you saw that with uh, like Larry Ogunjobi just now. You could sign him instead of Malik Collins or Anthony Walker Jr. You can sign him instead of Cameron Gregor Hill. And there's just a wide you know wide variety of examples of guys who are signed to short-term contracts uh, that Houston gave out a similar contract, but just to a player that is going to have you know a difficult time making the roster in a good team. And it's probably like a practice squad caliber player to begin with, too. Yeah, and the, I mean, there's not a huge amount of guarantees in a lot of these guys. Um, so you can easily cut bait, I think. But as you said, I think not only do you then detract from your ability to pick up surprise cuts, you know, p- post 1st June, uh, training camp cut downs. You know, there's so many opportunities throughout a long off season to add. Um, and it feels like we've kind of shot our shot really early. Um, but at the same time, when this is quite clearly... Or, or in some instances, we're showing that it is a rebuild. Why are we spending right up to the cap and having to restructure multiple deals to get in, you know, thirty sort of tier three players? I would, I would have far rather signed fifteen or ten tier two players at slightly bigger deals and have actually a bit of conviction in some of the guys you bring in, rather than quite, you know, we're we're not really married to any of them, um, and I just don't see. Why we need to spend the money now? Why we're not wanting to roll that into future years when we have a chance of being competitive? Why are we guaranteeing three million to a punter? Why are we bringing in a thirty-three-year-old mm-hmm. returner, and Andrew Roberts? Uh, you know, who's who has had good years, has been to the Pro Bowl, but you know, over the other side of thirty, you know, people can legs can go, and you saw that with Whitney Merciless last year. Not the same position, like for like, but it does happen, and people when they do hit that physical slope it goes quickly the average age of people they brought in was 28 as you said it's about a rebuild is predominantly about getting draft capital and getting younger and letting young guys develop so in two and three years time when you amass enough talent then those guys who, who, who you groomed in those early years are ready to contribute above their rookie contracts 
And it just feels like that I, I'm confused by what, what Casario's things. It almost feels like he's conducting a number of parallel plans because he just doesn't know what's going to happen with Watson in his heart of heart. He's rebuffed every offer reportedly or every phone call and he doesn't quite know where that's going to go. He hopes he's he's going to stay, but he's not quite sure. But then again, it's why are we trading for, you know, Izzo, who's just a wide tight end blocker. You could have picked a guy like that up in the sixth, seventh round this year. Mm-hmm. Marcus Cannon, you've just spent three first round picks on two tackles. Now you've brought another guy who's 33 and you're probably going to have to restructure his deal for him to make any sense for him to be here. So, yeah, I like I, I just think there's so many kind of convoluting points of of his of theory that he's that he's applying to his strategy and I think people are just so in awe of somebody doing a, a like you know a, a job well or a job by reasonable general manager manager standards rather than somebody who clearly shouldn't be in the role yeah yeah and and even given David Johnson you know 4.5 yeah, million guaranteed yeah. or now you have, you have buddy Hal yeah. yeah you have buddy so right now you have buddy Hal and Dontre Hilliard, both of them have never done anything at all for the team. or just kind of special teams players. You saw Mark Ingram. You devote that uh, seller cap space to David Johnson. And now Philip Lindsay pops about nowhere. You sign him too. And you have five running backs. It's like you would just be better off having Philip Lindsay on a short, like a one-year contract and then just drafting a running back in the sixth round and mm. then using Scotty Phillips. You know, And they're devoting like $10 million to the running back position on a bad football team, which doesn't make any sense at all whatsoever. Whenever you could have. Sign Hassan Reddick for one year, $8 million or whatever the premium may have to pay to get him in Houston instead. And, and like you mentioned, the idea in a rebuild, the most important resource is draft capital. And then your free agency, like you still want to spend your free agency dollars um, unless you're trying to plan to you know roll over in a big contract year, which maybe they may try to do in like 2022. But the second thing is that like you want to sign players who are young with some level of like potential. Like I don't think Derek Rivers is good at all. But Derek Rivers was like a good prospect three years ago or four years ago, and he had his leg, you know, kind of blow up twice. But that's the type of player that you want to take a take a flyer on, even if he is a Jackie Spree guy, where he's a he was a, a high prospect, you know, once upon a time, never really developed at all. You have him for a year, he's a lottery ticket. Those are the type of players that you would have. Like Ken O'Neill would have been good as a as a strong safety instead of you know Lonnie Johnson, maybe, or you can even put Lonnie, you know, outside cornerback maybe again. Um I mean, these are guys who have already kind of proven themselves. You can sign to a one-year contract. If they're great, then you can uh, extend them long-term for the future. Now that they're kind of part, part of the core part of your roster, you're not going to get that with Christian Kirksey. You're not going to get that with Kevin Pierre-Lewis. You're not going to get, gonna get that with Gregor Hill. You're not going to get that with Terrence Mitchell. And so there's constantly like all these guys here who you won't be who won't be a part of the next good Texans team, who you won't be thinking about at all in 2023, um, and really have like no ability to provide sort of foundation or talent level for the future. Like in a rebuild, that's what it's all about. And so I don't really understand like the the need to, to sign so many veterans on a rebuilding team. And if you're also like trying to win now in this year with run Deshaun Watson, these players aren't even good to begin with. You know, it's not like they signed good veteran players that took a short term contract to play with Watson the Texans. They just signed bad veteran players and they got a whole lot of them. And I think they're just gonna try to like, you know, have them uh, compete this offseason and see who sticks and who doesn't, but it doesn't really lend itself as an effective strategy at all whatsoever. Yeah, I think, I mean, the vast majority of guys are, it was almost I, like they were sending out a template and just fished it around agents and see who got, because the vast majority of them are somewhere between one and one and a half to three million with 500,000 guaranteed. And 
Yeah, the, the punter one, Cameron Johnson, I don't get. You've got three million guaranteed for him. Terence Mitchell, three million, a guy who they let walk in 2016, who probably should have made the roster. Kevin Pierre Lewis, okay, a guy that potential upside, um, but he's 30 years old. Um, you know, and you've got Malik Collins, yeah. And, and, and also, uh, Pierre Lewis got benched for John Bostick and Cole Holcomb. You know, like yeah. he started the year next to Thomas Davis, and they had awful linebacker playing Washington. And he got he got benched. Their linebacker and their whole defense kind of took off around like week ten or so uh, with Holcomb and Bostic in the lineup too. Like he got benched. Mitchell was was the starting outside cornerback on a bad Browns pass defense too. Uh, but I'm sorry to cut you off. No, that. no. And then you've got you know I think you know Malik Collins potentially. You know could you get back to the kind of some of the form he showed in Dallas? Yeah, but I think you've probably got four or five guys there who have all returned punts and, and kickoffs at some point all very much third, even some fourth-rate players in there. Um, you know, we've got the the new offensive line coach's version of Brent Fail. He's bringing in guys that have followed him around, <laughs> you know, and it's just the guys that you know when you put out there, you know what the results are. And I think it's it just it, it's confusing, I think, but moreover that you've got players who there who just, you know, okay, I mean, PG Hall bringing them back, great, you know, but yeah, guys like Kruger Hill and, Pierre Lewis and trying to work out how you're going to fit all these linebackers or, you know, look, a lot of these guys won't make the roster, but it just feels like there's 500, 500k guaranteed here and there that you just probably didn't need to do this year. And obviously we've had to restructure Laramie Tunsil this or just over the weekend there. And now we're looking to to then probably restructure more contracts to get everyone into the cap because just as before we came on, they've, they've announced some, but not all the big most the only big deal they've they've announced is Tyrod Taylor, and the rest they're they're still having to work the cap to to actually announce these signings and keep over. So I just don't see what the need to spend this amount of money on this broad spectrum of players this year. I I, I don't understand that at all. I I understand the turnover, but we're not in a position to to just fish because we we've not got the foundations there. So it's it seems strange from Casero, but I think everyone's just so overawed by the fact that we've got somebody that's not making a mess of it. Yeah, yeah, and again, like these just these aren't good football players, you know. And it's like, don't like this. Even if you sign thirty players, if they're not good, it doesn't really matter. And then with the wide receiver, your decisions are really uh, kind of frustrating because a lot of these guys are guys that are associated with David Coley. You know, Chris Conley. They signed Andre Roberts. They signed Alex Erickson. Um, they signed Chris Moore from Baltimore. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have Will Fuller or would you rather have Alex Erickson, Andre Roberts, Chris Moore, and Chris Conley? I know I would rather have Will Fuller. And so it's like the entire like bundle of these players aren't worth some of the players that they have kept along with them too. It's like also would you rather have Brandon Cooks or Will Fuller? I'd rather have Will Fuller who's you know younger, a better player, a lot more talented, a lot more explosive. And like it's not like Brandon Cooks doesn't have his share of injury issues or isn't kind of like at the age where we've already seen his speed. You kind of slow down. And he's, another, and he's a player, too, who I cannot think of a worse wide receiver to pair with Tyrod Taylor than Brandon Cooks because Cooks works so well running like deep crossing routes. And you know, Watson was able to hit him like in some really impossible throws and because he has such a small hitbox because Watson's, you know, spectacular. Taylor's a pretty, like, you know, vague and um, not very sharp, you know, downfield thrower, too. And so it's, it's like whenever you bundle all these contracts together into, you know, one assortment of like $8 million or $6 million, and you see some of the other players that win that price range, it just doesn't make any sense at all whatsoever. And like the rather than focus so much on the quantity, I think they should focus on you know the quality of the players that they sign 
And if their decision was to only stay in that like one year or two year range, you know, from like three million a year to up to six million a year, there were a lot better players that they could have pursued in that same contract range from from the first day of free agency all the way until August. And instead, they got you know Cam McGregor Hill and the and the players that we've already mentioned already. Yeah, I think that, I mean I think Desmond King is potentially the best signing at the mall. I think Phil Phil Lindsay's probably the equivalent of that on the other side of the ball. Um, but then you've got, and then I think out the rest of that, I think Malik Collins maybe. But there's just, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't understand the, 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 you know, and it's almost like the layers and layers stuff that O'Brien mentioned. But it's, it's, it's taken that to the extreme, and yeah, I think it's, it just seems you've sp- spread all your resources really thinly on guys that have got a limited chance at best of working out. And the vast majority of these guys, by their age, by the number of teams they've had, you know, for the vast majority of them have had three or four teams in the last three or four years. And so the league's worked them out by now. And I would much rather have had the biggest undrafted free agent class we could have had. But we probably can't afford that now with the cap. And they're going to have to continue to clamour to get under the cap and, and and we'll see that hopefully. I think the guy uh, Jordan Jenkins potentially could be a good guy, good good edge rusher. And when I say good, I mean good for this defense, not good in terms of mm-hmm. pro football terms. <laughs> um, but I, I think the only the only trade of those trades I think you would do again, or, or certainly I'd agree with, was was the Shaq Lawson one because that's that's a genuine NFL caliber player. We're going to add to a team that's transitioned to four three um, and. And McKinney was a guy who you were probably going to have to cut because you overpaid Zach Cunningham in a contract that he then, you know, imploded in terms of his standard of play. So therefore, it forced you to release McKinney, or certainly you're going to struggle to justify paying both those guys. And he wasn't really a fit for a four-three, um, and you bring in a player who actually could make your, you know, your new system better. I think that's probably the only move that I would say is a genuine solid step forward for the football team. Yeah, I, I like that. I thought that move was fine because you're just changing, you know, a position you already have a linebacker for position of need, which is you know, pass rusher and Shaq Lawson. And Lawson's a good pass rusher. He's not the best pass rusher on a good pass defense. He's probably like the, you. You want Shaq Lawson to be your third best pass rusher, yeah. and he's already immediately the Texans' best pass rusher. Like it just says a lot about the state of you know the Texans' defense since they've lost you know, their entire collection of of your know, defensive like their top talent, their top starters. You know, from the from the last three years or so there, but I mean, I think Lawson will be good. He's like strong. He can rush inside and outside. He has long arms. He has death like ability to make plays on the edge as well too. Um, I I don't mind the Cannon trade. It's just kind of weird to like do that for a 33 year old offensive lineman who didn't play last year. Who he's gonna move to guard too. I think he'll just slide in and take over for Zach Fulton's spot at guard, and you'll keep Howard at, at right tackle and you know Tensel left tackle. And I think he'll be pretty good there, especially if you do more like a power running style where he's like really good at like strong combo blocks. His his pass, you know, blocking worked, not because he was particularly good, but because Tom Brady was his quarterback. And when the ball is down like 1.7 seconds, like I think I can walk in, pass protect a little bit uh for Tom Brady and the ball is out that quickly like it was in New England too. So I think Can's fine, but the the thing about the can trade was weird. Was like if you are rebuilding, you don't want to swap picks, you know. Yeah. Like it didn't make very much sense to swap picks if you're going to be a four and twelve team, um, you know, with New England. Maybe the idea they thought was that if Watson's around, well, we'll probably win just as many games as New England, or we'll win close as many games, and so we're not giving up a whole lot. But I think potentially, like they could lose, you know, sixty different sixty spots of, of draft picks um, cumulatively by making that trade. But I think it's I think it's just kind of bizarre considering the age. 
the fact that Cam sat out last year and uh, they don't really know who their quarterback's going to be this year exactly, um, especially from us, like uh, from an external view as well, too. But I think both their trades were, were fine. The loss and move is probably the best thing they made this year. And then also, I think signing, you know, Jackson and, uh, and Lindsay, like those are legitimate NFL players. And those are the type of contracts, like if you want to go, or a, a good idea for the way the team is built right now. And I think like that's an example of they could have done that move probably like eight more times with real actual NFL players instead of the players that they got. And we would be thinking a lot differently about, I guess, the Texans offseason right now at the moment too, if they did that as well. Yeah, because I mean they've just signed Chris Conley, um, who you know was a, who was a guy who coming out of Georgia in 2015 was a guy that blew up the combine. Um, he's six three or listed at six three. Quite play like that. Um, he's obviously a guy who's probably known for being a sort of a freak athlete in a sense, and I assume he's the kind of idea to fill that extra uh, receiver spot, but which they don't really have. Um, and again, you said you know the David Cully offense. We don't know what that is, and I think yeah, I don't think he knows what it is either. To be honest, because he just talks about play or calling plays or running systems that the personnel dictates, which again is is the antithesis of Bill O'Brien and the previous regime because he was shoehorning and overpaying people to make his scheme work. And so they've gone the complete opposite in that sense. But I think there's a lot, you know, there is a lot of holes on this roster, but we quite clearly don't have a possession receiver. Um, and I think we we probably... Well, we don't have an edge rusher, and I don't think we have, a, you know, an outside boundary cover corner. You know, so I think you know, and it's probably all these things are list of one A, one you know, two A, B, C that you'd want when you're building a team. And I just think when you look at the fundamental building blocks of this team, we've not added to it in any way. Okay, it's nice to pick up a a slot corner and Desmond King that's that can be an admirable player in this league. As you said, if you want three pass rushers and losses, their clean-up guy sets the edge well. He can he can rush at times if he gets the right matchup, but he's a bit inconsistent. So I think the the team for me, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of holes, and I don't think they did anything through free agency to fill that in any way. Yeah, and I agree with that too. And, and like again, like it, it lacks like the upside of getting like younger, kind of more interesting players with. You know, some sort of talent that's on earth. Like, I think we know who a lot of these guys are, except for Desmond King. I think there's some potential there. I think we know if Lindsay is like, Lindsay is like a legitimate, you know, running back. And also, like, you, if you sign, you know, good players or like talented players, they also offer the opportunity to that you could trade them. You're on the trade deadline. You see that a lot in baseball where, um, you know, guys sign like a one year contract and they get traded the trade deadline and then become a prospect or two. And then maybe you get something out of kind of like nothing at all whatsoever. And so I do think like King offers that. I think Lindsay offers that, but I don't think you know Kevin Pierre Lewis offers that. I think that's something else that was kind of uh, not earth there as well too. And I'm very dumb. I accidentally called uh, Desmond Jack- Desmond King uh, Jackson earlier. It's it's Desmond King who I was alluding to earlier. Um, so do you want to talk about the Laramie Tunsil restructure? Because he he's due twenty six million dollars next year and the year after. And I know you kind of alluded to it a few times as well. I think it's a a very kind of bizarre you know, decision as well, too, like we've kind of talked already about before. Yeah, I mean, I, well, my first inclination was, well, he'd be an easy one to restructure because he's his own agent. So, um, 
he's not as busy as other people's agents are and they're trying to get their clients jobs. So they looked looked along the list. I think I saw Texans Cap put out you can save seven million on Cunningham again converting it to signing bonus. Which okay is great that Cal's wanting to happy to pay the money out. Um but he's it, it's not it's not a way to, I, I think kicking kicking money down the road is just another example of we don't know what the strategy is. Yeah, and it and it doesn't make sense too if you are rebuilding because now limits how much money you can spend next year, the year after. Like you would rather front load those contracts and pay those guys now, and that way you have less money to spend later on. Whenever the salary cap goes up, whenever you have uh, a good football team and you have holes that you need to fill as well too. And it's like Tunstall has a cap of like nine point two million dollars this year. It goes up to twenty six million dollars next year, and then it goes up to twenty six million dollars um, in two thousand twenty three in the last year of his contract. It's it's absurd. It's insane to pay an offensive tackle twenty six million dollars, and like they made this decision to create cap space for this year so they could you know sign more players, uh, more bad veterans. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to use a little bit of money, or that money was just created so that way they can sign the players that they already have uh, agreed to contract terms with already. But it just doesn't make any sense at all to me to create cap space for the play- type of players they signed this year, and even regardless to do that anyways at all this year whenever this team is probably going to be a four or five win team. And uh, the second thing too is it completely removes any possibility of maybe trading Laramie Tunsil as well. Because you are not, you can't trade Laramie Tunsil if he's due $26, $26 million a year after. And then also they convert all the salary into bonus that they'd be paying a, like a dead cap hit of $25 million um, next year if they, if they decide to trade him as well too. And it closes the door on that completely as well that you know, Tunsil is going to be here for you know, all of this year and then uh, he should be, and he'll be here all of this year because you would actually, you know, lose twenty six million dollars if you did trade him this uh, this upcoming season. And you could possibly trade him next year, but it's kind of one of those weird kind of spots as well, too. Okay, so they they can't trade him on this. There's a dead cap if they trade him because because of the signing bonus. Is that right? Yeah. So you have to pay the entire bonus now. Yeah. So they would have to pay twenty six million all at once. If they trade him two thousand twenty two. They would have to uh, take on sixteen million. But he has a a, a a a base salary of seventeen million, and so it kind of balances itself out that you only have you only have a hit of you know one million dollars. So it it works itself out where you cannot trim it all this year at all whatsoever, but you could possibly trim next year or the year after. But the team that trades would be having to take on that salary of eighteen million dollars so to do so. Ah, uh, okay. I must have misread some of that because I thought when I first saw it, and they said he's only due a base of nine hundred k this year, that. I thought, well, maybe that's a prerequisite to trade him because that's you know if you pay signing bonus now or you pay the but the or you pay the, the 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 lump sum money up front, then the team takes a minimal cap at for you know a top three or five left tackle in pass protection, definitely not not in uh, yeah. not in run blocking, that's for sure. Uh, it just doesn't even look like he's interested at times in run blocking, but um, <laughs> but okay, yeah, okay. and and that just be for this year. Yeah. So it's like whenever you make a trade, the team has to pay the signing bonus amount and the team that takes on the players to pay the guaranteed money amount. And so now because he has a $26 million uh, signing bonus, you have to pay that $26 million right away. And the, the team that takes them on has to pay the guaranteed money for it. And so you can't trade them all this year, but you could trade them next year because whenever you remove his actual contract off the books, it balances out that $16 million uh, signing bonus that, bonus that remains on there too. And so like, you know, it's, it, it closes the door on that. Um, what what stance are you on for Laramie Tunsil? Like, would you be open to wanting to move him this year if you could get a mid first round pick potentially, 
or you have the standpoint that Tensil's a left tackle. You know, you can have these guys for 12 more years. He's only 26. You know, he's at the prime of his career coming up, um, and he's completely worth you know 20 million dollars a season at that position. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think you you saw at times you saw you know you need well you don't need a guy in that position. I'd, I'd much rather have five average to above average guys working really well together and synced, well coached. Then I would, you know, go out and trade, you know, two years worth of picks. And look, picks are great because you can, you but you might pick pick up an Isaiah win. So you know, it, it can go either way. Um, but I think there's, it's one of those things you 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 can have them here for ten years um, and still play at a really good level. Um, but with all the the mess that's gone on, you've got to think at some point, you know, a player of his caliber might think, well, actually I might want to go and catch on somewhere. I've got a chance to get a ring. And if, if Watson goes, then you, it's a fair assumption that, you know, the next 10 years will not be successful for this franchise. So therefore actually by not trading them now, when you probably could benefit from that pick, you know, for, a, you know, for, and then certainly from now and then into the medium term, then, you're probably missing the opportunity to do that because, as he said, as he gets longer into his, his short extension that he signed, when he had all the leverage in the world, then you're you're probably missing that window again. You know, just like the Watson thing before the allegations, you probably you've missed that window now because that's kind of confined you to not being able to trade him. So it's 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 a tough one. But end of the day, this team won 11 games with Julian Davenport left tackle. You know, a personal favorite of yours. So. Yeah, so, you know, I think he, he's and I say the Colts have brought him in, but like he, I think there was it was heavy-handed management. I mean, you know, it was being played today. You don't want to go in it and, and how they acquired him. I think the fact that you've now spent that and acquired him, the only way you justify that over a longer period of time is you keep him. But look, if somebody was coming to, if somebody came and said, "Look, we'll give you a first-round pick and I don't know a third or something plus a player," would you take it? I think you'd have to, based on the situation this team's in. Uh, but if that if that, that if that contract re, renegotiation makes it impossible, then it's obviously not in their plans. But what quite what their plans are, I don't think anybody really knows. Yeah, and and they also were like committed to every player that they traded for the past you know two years as well. Um, whether it was David Johnson or Brandon Cooks, or um, you know for both those moves that were made, and so it didn't really seem like they would trade Laramie Tunsil at all. But I do think like if you're a five win football team. Your left tackle is thinking like your left tackle is thinking dramatically improve your win loss record, and also like we've talked about before, you know your offensive line is about the entire group that you have, and the quarterback and the offensive scheme that you run is more indicative of you know, the sacks that you have and the pressure that you have than your offensive line's pass protection itself. And uh, I think the, I think the offensive line has a lot more to do with the run game than pass protection. And like the Texans, even with Laramie Tunsil, you know they were bottom in the league in pressure rate in 2019. Um, you know, Watson was one of the most sack quarterbacks, one of the most hit quarterbacks in 19 and 20, even with Laramie Tensel. And they've had problems across the entirety of the offensive line. And like one left tackle doesn't completely, you know, transform an entire offensive line. He doesn't make an offensive line, you know, good all on his own. And we, you know, we've seen that with Tensel, you know, where he hasn't made a, a dramatic impact and you know, the results haven't been there from, you know, a run blocking or a pass protection standpoint um, at all once the entire time he's been here too. And so I do think like if they could have got in, you know, Indy's, Indy's first-round pick or Jacksonville's second first-round pick, you know, pick number 23 from Seattle because they franchise tag Cam Robinson. He has been very good. And I, I, I could not imagine a world where the Colts actually start 
uh, Tevi at left tackle because he's a complete abomination in that position. And I think he would lead to like Carson Wentz having at least 10 uh, fumbles next year if he starts at that spot. But I think both those teams were the opportunity to make that trade. Maybe if you, if you even got like a second round pick and then you had another second round pick in 2022, that could p- potentially be worth it because in a rebuilding you know team, draft capital is the most important resource. And so I, uh, I was completely open to it. I wanted to see it happen. That's not going to happen now this year. It could happen next year. Um, that door's open for that to happen next season. But it did still seem very bizarre to create salary cap space uh, for this season when it really wasn't needed at all and then have to pay more money next year and the year after. And like, you know, if it comes down to that point, Houston will probably just extend him to a long-term contract to less than that $26 million cap hit um, you know, if you decide to actually stay here and do that. But it didn't really make any sense at all, though, to restructure Tensil's contract to – you kick that can down the road for a team that doesn't need to create space to win now at all by any means. Yeah, and I think I mean it was. I suppose it seemed it's, or it it seemed implausible that you'd offer somebody twenty two million over three years with, you know, with the contract structure and when, when the Trent Williams deal, you know, and you talk about the free agency being suppressed this year, even when you actually saw the Trent Williams deal, it was almost two contracts. It was twenty three million a year. On the on the final two years, but the front the front three years were a figure lower than some around the twenty one million a year mark, or, or even lower than that. Actually, I think um, from memory, but it was split into two you know quite clear sections. So even sort of you know a year or so on that twenty two million a year in isolation is still not being eclipsed. Um, and to think you're going to pay him that twenty six is just it's just not feasible. And the salary cap will jump, but this hundred eighty two and a half has been borrowed from future years. And you've seen historically that the league has only jumped it up in steps. So they're they're not going to just suddenly jump it up twenty million a year, and then that allows you to to pay one player twenty you know mm-hmm. twenty six million. But a left tackle doesn't win you games, and I think that's the reality of it. You know, a great wide a transcendent wide receiver a transcendent running back, you know, all these guys who you can actually acquire for far, you know, you could acquire two of those for the same value that you acquired Tunsil for. I think, you know, the, as good as what he does, I just don't think he wins you games. Uh, but the two two second round picks, a bit of Matt Shab trade value there, I quite, I quite like that. But, um, you know, that wasn't that long ago, two seconds could get you a quarterback who was serviceable in this league. Mm-hmm. In terms of overall free agency, what do you think, what would you rather, Matt, what, that you go after three or four swing and misses, Aaron Colvin's, Brock Osweiler's, you, you know, you tried, you thought you had it right, you put the money in, it didn't work out, and then you had to get out of it, albeit expensively, or would you rather just stockpile players as if we're in a flood of money and sandbags? Yeah, I mean, I think for what the Texans are this year, I think Kasir had the right idea by signing a wide variety of players to short-term contracts like he did, rather than like you know go go all in on you know one or two players at all, um, but like you know I wish he signed good players instead. And yeah, you know, I do think like if he it didn't really seem like they would actually you know, go all in on the defense at all, even though they had needs at pass rusher and cornerback. Like they, you know, they could have uh, you know, made it. I don't know. It's it's like I think Corey Davis would have been interesting because they don't have like a tall physical receiver. I think after you know Fuller was released by the Bears, I think he would have been interesting in Houston, but it seemed like he just went play for Vic Fangio again. And so I don't think like this offseason really kind of set itself up for Houston to be in the run for you know big names that required uh, large contracts at all. But I, I do think Casario took the right approach 
And the overall like right strategy is just kind of depend on where you are in your team's life cycle. But I do wish like Hacer just signed good players instead of you know, underwhelming bomb and roster turning players instead. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at it, I mean, who's going to play the one tech in that four four man front? I don't know. I don't think he's on the roster yet. I guess Brandon Dunn. Maybe they haven't cut him yet. Yeah, he's still there. So I think it'd probably be him and Collins. You know, which yeah, doesn't really and excite and you much PJ about Hall, if yeah if this run play, defense is going to be three. improved. Yeah, and then you guess like PJ will probably plays three, and then you probably have Omanehu and Lawson as every down players, and then sub packages. You, know, you have Whitney Merciless and Jacob Martin and. Uh, you know, Janoris Jenkins, you know, or not Janoris Jenkins, but uh, Jenkins have just signed as well too. And so like, I think they have like, a, I don't know, they have a lot of players in the front seven, but how they exactly fit, I think is going to be uh, kind of weird to see. Well, that's the thing as well. I think when you've got like unprecedented turnover uh, in terms of numbers, the coaching staff considering they're going to have a confined off season program again, as COVID still lingers, that's still going to define schedules. There's going to be more, you know, digital contact time. You're not going to be in the classroom. You're not going to have as many uh, time on much time in the practice field as you would have in traditional years. It's going to be really difficult for this new coaching staff to get across a new scheme, uh, partly on one side of the ball and supposedly some iterations on the offensive side of the ball and how they're going to do that with a new quarterback. I just, I don't think you can feasibly have any expectations when you've got a head coach who's effectively a caretaker, lovely guy, but he's he's not necessarily here to to win football games. He, and mm-hmm. you've got just turnover upon turnover. And look, I, I, I do like the fact that we're moved away from we like our guys because that, that saddled us to too many players for too long. Um, and the turnover in an element is good, but I think the turnover is too high to the point where actually that may well impact the roster it's fine for special teams. It's fine for the you know the bottom five or six spots on a fifty three. But when you've got thirty three spots to turn over, that's going to be a lot for the coaching staff to try and decipher and try and get some an element of cohesion by the time they hit the field come September. And I think they're going to need those preseason games if um, and they hope, they're going to hope that they'll be back up and running this year. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll play preseason this year. And like, I'm not all that concerned about the amount of roster turnover. Just because of like you know a lot of these guys are bad that were there you know whether it's like so you have Kevin Pierre Lewis said Tyrell Adams and um, instead of having like Brent Hargreaves starting outside cornerback you know you have Terrence Mitchell out there instead for uh, as long as possible as long as that lasts you know and so it really is just like hard from this standpoint with just a wide collection of names and players to have kind of any idea like how exactly they're going to fit like who's going to perform well this summer and who's going to actually like you know step up and be able to win kind of some of these position spots too. And even kind of talking about like the defensive line, like we we already forgot about Ross Blacklock. Like he's still on this team after and his Jonathan like completely Greener, and Jonathan Greener too. And like, you know, Blackard and uh, I mean, Blacklock had, Blacklock had zero, you know, he had more punches thrown than sacks last year. You know, he had, I think two quarterback hits and uh, Collins had one quarterback hit last year and zero sacks over the course of, you know, the 500 snaps that he played last season too. And so it really just kind of, kind of reminds me of that uh, seeing the dark night where the Joker breaks the pool cue and throws it to five people just for them to you know, beat each other to death and figure out who's going to play. And I think that's kind of what the Texans idea is going to be you know, this summer to just have an open competition, see who wins and then roll with them from there. And then cut, you know, the rest of these guys uh, before the, the final 53 man roster comes up. Yeah. It's a, a rather expensive tryout, I think of, 
of failed veteran, you know, mid to lower tier mm-hmm. players. I think it's it probably if you if you were were looking for reasons to have enthusiasm, I don't you know beyond the the naivety of uh, clapping everything that Casario does, um, then yeah, you probably are you've probably lost you know any 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 signs of new hope that this team could be any better. What do you, I assume Matt, we're in agreement that Tyrod Taylor starts week one, whether it be suspension, holdout or the unlikely trade. What do you actually see this team looking like between now or what do you see the, the moves they make between now and the draft? Um, just generally, I'm not asking about players, but what do you think they're going to do to try and get this team ready beyond the, this bunch of Casario recruits that he's amassed? at great cost and and a great number of new names on the roster. Yeah, I, I think they're, because like, unlike other teams, I think a lot of teams after the first week of free agency, they're kind of like set still and they kind of know where they have holes and try to figure out like where they need to improve at in the NFL draft that comes up. And they kind of like feel like they have some idea of what their roster is going to be. I think for Houston, I think despite all the additions they have, they really have no idea what their roster comprehension, uh, what their roster is going to consist of whenever they come up to their you know, 53 main cuts and everything else. And so, I mean, I can still see them adding more veteran players. I can still see them you know, making decisions to, to bring additional guys on short, you know, short contracts like they've been doing as well too before the draft. So I don't think the Texans are done by any means, you know, until the last weekend of April uh, between now and then. I, feel, I still think the door is open for them to, to make some additional signings to uh, kind of keep doing what they've been doing for, you know, the past week or so. Yeah. And I think it's, it, yeah, I think you're just going to see a churn, and I hope that you throw enough darts at the board, and a couple of them will stick, and you pick up those guys. You run with them longer term, and then you've created your guys. You're, they're not inherited guys. Do you see any more cuts? I know you touched on Brandon Dunn there, but do you think any more cuts or any more restructures? Because they're going to have to find. I think there's still about five or six million over the cap, based on the reported signings. As you said, they're going to keep coming. Yeah, that uh, I. I mean. I would think so. I don't really want to. It makes I don't want to get you know, hurt my own feelings by saying they're going to cut you know Holly Warren or anything like that. I I think it'd be kind of interesting to be like She's if they cut some as well. So yeah, I know I got to send a text message and wish him happy birthday. <laughs> um, we need. I'm excited to be able to play you know pool volleyball with Holly all summer as he gets ready for the 2021 season. But um, I do. It'd be interesting to see if they actually cut some of these guys they just signed. You know, like if they just cut Mark Ingram already. I think that'd be interesting because they got Philip Lindsay instead. And like see them already kind of piggyback and kind of go back on some of the decisions they already made. Cause I think the opportunity is there as well to be like, Oh, we actually had this idea. We executed it and then realized this was the wrong idea. And there's still other good, they're better players that we could sign the same sort of contract. So I think that would be interesting. They're able to do that. But I think the big, the probably the two, the three biggest guys are Brian Dunn. Number two is Whitney Merciless. I do think Jenkins offers himself, offers Casario as like an exit strategy from Merciless if they decide just pay the $3 million and um, in, in the salary cap hit they're going to have to have, they decide cut Merciless. And Eric Murray's the other guy too, because like Murray, you only save a million dollars if you cut him, but he's not good at anything at all whatsoever. Uh, they tried him in pretty much every role in their defense last year, whether, whether it was him playing slot corner or linebacker or deep middle or you know have him playing as, a, as the second deep safety. And he was bad at every single one of those spots too. And so I do think, uh, I do, I do think there's an opportunity for you know, Eric Murray to be released also. But kind of the biggest thing is I would like to see some of these guys who they just signed um, just to kind of fly out and release some of these guys and create cap space because I think that'd be, be kind of very funny at the same time 
you know, being kind of like the right move to make after we kind of know what the talent level is and some of the other players are available at the same time too. Yeah, because you saw that they've just released Anthony Kawuka and then they've brought or, or they're reported to bring back John Weeks after mm-hmm. uh, after a sort of two week period of thinking. You know, the the longest tenure player in franchise history, or the current longest tenure player in franchise for the franchise is uh, he's coming back. So you've seen them already do that. What do you think was worse, signing Derek Rivers, a man who used to be inf- infamously married twice, or bringing back Vernon Hargreaves? Uh, Hargreaves for sure. Like Hargreaves is like an act of war. You know, it's like they're just completely just messing around with us at this point. Uh, and like even like if you would make the argument that Hargreaves is a fine like depth signing, even that doesn't make sense because the thing about depth is that sometimes you have to use that depth. And the Texans have one competent cornerback in Bradley Roby. Uh, they don't have anybody else aside from that. And so if your depth is Vernon Hargreaves, it might mean that you're probably going to play Vernon Hargreaves sometime last year. And him starring 16 games outside corner was uh, completely putrid. He was awful at that spot. Uh, the one, like, not a spot at all they could play in all whatsoever. Like, he, like, barely held on as a slot cornerback the year before. And, like, he was fine in the sense of he was, uh, you know, life raft because you have the cornerback injuries and the Aaron Colvin problem that happened earlier in the season. So, like, provide, like, some level, I guess, of, you know, performance from a veteran free agent in the slot. But him starting outside cornerback all year, for them to bring him back, I think it was just like an act of war. I, uh, I I still can't get over it, and I can't believe it. And like I mentioned about Rivers, like I don't think Rivers is good, but that's the sort of like profile of a player that you'd want to see Houston sign. You based off the life cycle of their team, and if they do end up trading lots, and we just want to sign guys, so maybe some idea of upside. Even though Rivers has never produced his career, but he was a good prospect once upon a time, and he's had a bunch of injuries, and so maybe maybe if he gets healthy, there's some something there that. Uh, that just hasn't. That just needs some more time to develop, and you know, Hargreaves doesn't offer that all whatsoever. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it. It seems odd, and I think that's probably up there with the David Johnson guaranteeing four million for a guy who just couldn't run. And like as you said, the only good tape he put together was when they started running a bit more inside zone, single cut kind of stuff against bad defensive fronts towards the end of the year, and games were effectively meaningless. For the Texans, okay, he did okay against Indy, but most of that was, you know, that game on the road was through the air. But you guarantee a guy like that four million, um, then you, you know, you had the punter contract, and you had all those, and you know, that's as you said, that's one decent player they could could have had. It doesn't look like that, and I think, yeah, it's great depth, but I think you're often spending money in free agency because your draft hasn't worked out the way you have. And if you look back at the 2019, obviously we've seen Colin Gillespie was cut. If you think back to the DAC draft class of Brian Gain. Really, only Titus Howard and Charles Amene who have worked out to a degree. Um, Mike Sharpen, big year for him. Lonnie Johnson, big year for him in year three. Your 2020 draft class is almost in the year two is an unknown because we just didn't see the guys on the field. Despite not having any picks, how big do you think this draft is in 21? Just to find even solid role players which is something they haven't done at least three or four spots. Because if you start to go three draft classes without some form of shape of a roster, I think that's when you start to run into a lot of problems uh, with your team. And actually, you think if this year is not going to actually move us any forward, the only one of the few things I think you could take out of 2021 is you could find some good young players. So I think this draft class for me has got, they've got to find ways to build depth and solid role players at the very least. 
Yeah, it's it's weird now for Houston because they used to be a team that was built on your know, first round draft picks that hit, and they're built on top talent. And they could never kind of find like the depth overall to replace guys who got hurt. You know, like Kevin Pierre Lewis would have been great for the 2012 Texans. So instead of you know, Barrett Rude covering uh, you know Aaron Hernandez on the flat, you have Kevin Pierre Lewis out there instead. You know, and so I think for the Texans it's a little bit different now where they don't have that top talent at all whatsoever anymore. Like they're just a Overall, just pretty bad roster now um, with the decisions that Casario has recently made. With the fact that they haven't had, um, you know, any for, you know the, the lack of first round pick and second round pick they had last year. Um, the fact that you know Mark, Max Sharping and Lion Johnson Jr. both been really bad. Um, you know Howard's been like a really good pass blocker. You know last year at times, but he's not a very good run blocker at all. Kyle, like you mentioned with Tunsil, where there's a lot of times where he doesn't even look like he wants to even you know be on the field at all whenever they call a run play too. And so I think they're a little bit different now for Houston where I think it's kind of just like it's not really finding role players all anymore. It's just trying to get like any level of talent at all whatsoever. And so I'm kind of more interested in them rather than getting these guys who are like, you know, smart and have good fundamentals, you know, I played the game. I think they're in a position now where they just need to try to get high upside, try to get athleticism, and try to do everything they can just to get talent now. Because their their way their roster is composed is completely flipped because of the excess of top talent that they've seen. You know, since the 2018 season, and so I do think that's that's kind of the way that they need to look about this. And I think the other thing makes me you know, somewhat excited for Nick Casario being the general manager is I think the Texans just need a lot of picks. So like similar to free agency, where they sign town players. I think that's the idea you know, behind the NFL draft as well too. Is I think the best way to do it will probably be a trade down as much as they can, try to see if there's any way to turn some veteran players into picks as well too, and just try get you know uh, try cast as wide as possible despite the limited draft capital that they currently have. I think that's the, the two things that they should look for whenever um, the draft kicks off next month. Yeah, and they've got to, they've just got to find, well, the, uh, well to find Casario's philosophy, you know, will, will they take risks on character guys, uh, which they historically haven't done, perhaps their detriment? You know, do they take, do they, do they go and jump up and take guys or do they just keep, Trading back and trading back to, to amass picks, but the problem is they've not really got any apart from the their first pick in the third. They've obviously given up one of their fourth round draft picks to New England back for a fifth. Mm-hmm. So you know they've not got many picks that are really going to acquire you two, maybe one or two picks extra. You know, in that region of the draft that they're going to be able to spread the risk um, on the picks. So. It's good. It's it's a it's a murky old off season. I think we just don't know what's going on with your quarterback. Legal issues aside, and and you've got a new backup style Tyrod Taylor coming in with, as you said, just the complete erosion of top end talent. is it's tough, and I think you, it goes back to that adage of who do you put on the program because there's not many. <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't put anybody on the program. Is the, you don't, is the yeah, answer well, to that? Uh, yeah. what, what do you think about Tyrod Taylor? Like, Are you excited to watch 16 games with Tyrod Taylor this year? Or would you kind of want them to sign somebody else, at least have a, a more kind of entertaining aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you can't trade Watson, it is Tyrod, isn't it, for 16 um, no, not really. I don't think I don't think anybody could be excited about a guy who's been a career backup and he had that one good year in Buffalo and they'll point to that and David Cully was involved and and I remember watching the playoff game where they got there and do you remember the game where they went up to Jackson? Yeah. They lost ten um, three. And they took Yeah, and they took a hell of a crowd with them. 
um, it was almost there was more Buffalo Buffalo fans inside mm-hmm. uh, that that terrible stadium with the swimming pools than, than there was uh, than there was Jacksonville fans and it it seemed like it was all set up for a romantic return to the playoffs when a game and the off offense that they put out against it. Oh, don't get me wrong, that was a good Jacksonville defense, but on the big stage, it wasn't very good. You know, and I, I think he, he saw he was limited in that sense. He'd, he'd, he had, he got them through a season, I think it was eight or, it was either nine or ten wins, I can't remember how many they had that year, but it was a bit like, you know, when Fitzpatrick was here and, you know, it was a guy who was quite likeable, he gave his all, and actually probably the Texans moved on from Fitzpatrick when they shouldn't have um, to go down the Hoyer Mallet route. But I think the... It's going to be a plucky season, but the 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 Fitzpatrick season, I think you know when you think about it, it as a quarterback who was giving it all. You know he's limited, but you had a, a really strong defense which transcended talent players, you know, reasonably at the height of their reasonably speaking at the height of their powers. So you could balance out the offense and efficiency. But I just think now if we go with a, a Deshaun Watson list team, who's then grossly inefficient on offense, added that to defense. You're looking at a number one overall draft pick, which then I think a number one overall draft pick is something to get excited about. But you've just got to embrace that that slog, I think, because what's probably been disheartening about the whole Deshaun trade was all this all this off season you kind of talked a bit about the game, and then you went, "Well, who do you think is going to be the new head coach? Who do you think is going to be the new general manager?" And it was going to be everything was going to be flipped. But actually, all we've done is really taken a sidestep, and it feels like things have got worse. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing about Taylor. It's like Taylor, I think, is that his best skill is that he doesn't throw interceptions. I think his current interception rate is 1.4%. Um, and like he can run that sort of power run offense, and they decide to kind of like go the Baltimore offensive route where they run you know, a gap read offense. I think he could do some work there. But the thing about it, though, and the big problem is that the defense is awful. And so it's like you can't uh, you know, run this ball control sort of offense where you're going to be able to – Kind of turn the clock and be able to win games close with, uh, with the defense that the Texans have on the other side of the field. You know, like you can't win games thirteen to ten uh, with Taylor. Like maybe a different team could possibly do too. And like I think Taylor's just kind of he's pretty boring to watch. You know, and so I, I love that that term that you just said, embrace the slog, because I think that's exactly what the two thousand twenty seasons, two thousand twenty one season is going to be with Taylor. I think it's going to be very boring, and the defense is going to be really bad. And they're going to lose the games, like, a lot of games like 30 to 10 and 30 to 13, where like Taylor doesn't make mistakes, but they just run the ball and punt a lot, you know? And I think like you could have a season where, you know, Lindsey, uh, David Johnson, Ingram, and, you know, Tyra Taylor, they probably combine and run the ball 40 games, potentially, 40 times a game, potentially, you know? And so I think it's the type of year that we're in for um, with him out there. And like there's no like element of upside. You know, Taylor had a chance, like he was interesting in Buffalo because whenever, Greg Roman was their offensive coordinator. They actually had a top 10 offense for two years in Buffalo, but Rex Ryan completely ruined their defense by trying to go to his 3-4, make it super blitz-heavy, and he killed like, their front four pressure they had going on for so well. And, like Ruined Mario Williams' career there uh, by making that switch to make him a stand-up yeah. linebacker. Uh, they would be a Super Bowl contending team with Greg Roman and anybody else aside from Rex Ryan the entire world You know, uh, calling the defense that they did. And so it was cute that he like won playoff run and you know, he, had, he got hurt in Cleveland the year, uh, his first year there. He got hurt with the Chargers last year and didn't get the chance to start at all whenever he was coming into the years and started because of injuries. And so I think he may be cursed where he can't start more than one week. And we may see, you know, Ryan, uh, we may see Ryan Finley out here pretty quickly. 
which would be, I think, a lot more fun because at yeah. least there's that <laughs> element of like grotesqueness to it that uh, can be enjoyable too. But I think with Taylor, I think like this is still going to be a four or five win team. It doesn't elevate that. You don't have a playoff team here at all whatsoever, Taylor. And I think it's just going to be a very boring like four or five win season. Whereas if you have somebody, you know, who's maybe a little bit younger, a little bit more fun to watch, that may be a better season, you know? Yeah. And the, I think the, the element of, yeah, the t- just watching the Taylor games go out and, you know, it is, yeah, it's a tough situation, right? I, I just think it's a, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be so similar to last year in the sense that it was, you're kind of just hoping to turn the page before it's even started, which is, is counterproductive, I think, for, for, you know, for, for fandom and the team to generally sell themselves. And I, there was actually an interview recently of David Cully, and I think it was the Texas media, and he said, if we have to go three and out and punt the ball, that's okay. And you think, you know, <laughs> how are you, you going to sell that to anybody? And I, I just, that that's that's the bit that I don't get and the bit that I don't think anybody understands. And he also said as well, which, and look, we've, I've hardly talked about the David Cully or the coaching staff on this podcast because I just don't think there's any point but the, the just taking that comment, and then they also the comment was that he said, "I don't, th- I don't know if I win a game here." And you think, All "Right, okay, good, okay." And then <laughs> he's, and then he's also come out with with comments, you know, around. I was brought here, and he said he went into the interview without a sheet of paper, and he also said I was brought here because I was the best guy for this situation. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, what does he mean by that? Yeah, he's here to. Well, I think what he means by that is he's here to take the team to the pizza buffet after they lose thirty-one to ten. Like I didn't think Watson was going to be traded until they hired David Coley, and then yeah, once they hired yeah. Coley, it's like, well, they're going to trade Watson, and Coley is here to increase like his pension whenever he retires from the NFL, and then he's here to be able to keep morale high because he does seem like a really enjoyable person to be around. Like I, like I would like to uh, play football for David Coley. I like to go eat pizza with David Coley. I like to go to the your team prayer circles to David Cole. Like he seems like a really like bright and like fun to be around person. And so I think that's what his goal here is, is he's just here to keep morale high. You're doing a rebuild. And then whenever the Texans have you know, potentially a good team, maybe in 2023 or whenever that actually could happen again, um, depending on, you know, what, what Nick Cassari does between now and then you get a different head coach who actually has the ability to you know, scheme a really good offense and or scheme a really good defense and get the most out of his players. And, iron down that aspect of coaching instead of just being like really sweet and really loving and uh, really enjoyable to be around, you know, and getting, the, and getting the most out of these players as people, not just not necessarily as what they do in the field itself. And he's the kind of guy that I think would be great as like a church caretaker or a, you know, a leader of a local community center that, you know, an outreach program or something like that, you know, that everybody mm-hmm. knows and respects and not got a bad word to say about him and does a great job but is underappreciated. I think his career has been a bit like that. But I, I just, I don't, I just would love to know when this is all said and done, and all those years when Caserio was sitting there slogging, doing twenty plus hour days in Foxborough, and, he, and he's thinking to himself, when I get my chance finally, I'm going to hire David Cully. I, <laughs> I don't, do you know what? I, I think I would love to know who he wanted to hire, or who, or or if if all things were equal, who he would have hired. Because 
I know he came in and he sparked the issue with Watson, but and there are probably a hundred and one reasons that will never come at the light of day, but why did they not just go out and hire the best football coach they possibly could? Because they didn't do that. And I think that point then just has a knock-on effect. And this is why you're just stacking linebackers and players that are all, well, unquestionably not good enough to be starting players in in pro football. And it's just kind of had that knock-on effect with that. I'd love to know who he actually, who he, you know, in his heart of hearts would have wanted if this was a level playing field he came in because Cal and, and Easterby have, you know, basically didn't let him start this on a level foot and, and, and they're basically kind of passing it over to him to, to clear up while they hide in the background. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. I think that kind of lends itself to uh, with some of the decisions they made this offseason where like Nick Casario has said, you know, a lot of times that, well, Jack Easterby's great at things that, and he's not going to have a role in football operations. And they always say too, like we're our goal is to communicate clearly, and every chance they've had to communicate clearly about what Jack Easterby does, they completely fail to do so at all um, whatsoever. But I do think that the Coley hiring is like the perfect Jack Easterby sort of guy. I think he's a Jack Easterby tweet, you know, brought to life. I think he's the exact opposite of Bill O'Brien. I think, like you mentioned, he's a caretaker, you know. But it does seem like there's kind of like a schism um, in the Texans where it's like these are football moves, and then this is something weird that happened, and this is something weird that happened. That still lends itself to you know Jack used to be having some sort of role in you know football decisions and whether it's you know keeping David Johnson here for another year or you know Mark, uh, or whether it's David Coley being hired as the head coach instead of somebody who can actually like develop a really great offense to build around you know Deshaun Watson and then be able to have like a spread offense that the Texans are built around for the next like you know seven years or so while he has his mobility like rather than make a decision like that to go about uh, the Texans offseason. They instead got Nick Asir, got Eastbury's guy, got a head coach who's just like Jack Eastby. They have made decisions that are kind of like Eastby sort of decisions while they've said, you know, the exact opposite every time they have the opportunity to do so. And so like it is weird. Like there's a there's definitely like a conflict in, you know, it's kind of like the the blue and the red part of the Texans logo. It's kind of like what the Texans currently have right now with how they're being run at the same time, too. Yeah, because it's like they make moves and then, you know, they give David Johnson the money and they go, oh, actually, we'll take on Phil Lindsay. Um you know, we'll sign, you know, uh, Rivers. Oh, no, actually, Jenkins is a much better player. Let's bring mm-hmm. him in. And it, yeah, and you, you, you want, you know, I had this image in my head of Easterby going, oh, uh, Nick, I've, I've done this. And he's going, oh, well, we're going to have to fix that. You know, and, I, and I, I don't I don't understand for the life of me why, you know, he's only going to have one shot at this. This is probably going to be his only ever general manager gig. Why he would want to endanger that. But I think that just probably just speaks to the, the manipul- manipulation and the influence that Easterby can just so masterfully influence on it. And I had this thought today, and we'll wrap up on this, map. but how different do you think it would have been if Casario had been higher when Bill O'Brien was still here uh, when the first time they tried to pursue him before they got filed for tampering? Yeah, that's a great question. It's like, it's definitely a completely re- alternate reality. You know, like even how much yeah. the, different the Texans would be if they didn't fire Brian Gain, you know, that year as well too, we're just like, you have some sort of level of like competency and you know intelligence at the position, you know? And like, I don't know if Brian Gain was a bad job manager necessarily. Like I do think he did a poor job of spending their free agency money that off season, but not signing some like Sheldon Richardson, not doing everything they could to get the most out of Sean Watson's actual, um, you know, rookie contract. I do like, I think his draft was, you know, pretty good considering the fact that they didn't have a first round pick at all. 
Um, and, and, or a second round pick that year. And so like, I do think that he had a, a fairly good draft. Like he got Justin Reed. I still like Crowley Ward, like more than me, like from a talent perspective, I'm so interested to see what happens to Martinez Rankin. Like I know he had a bad injury, um, last year in Kansas city, whenever he was a star there as well too. And so like, I, I still like, even if they kept him, I don't know how much of it was Gaines fault and how much of it was O'Brien's fault and what their long-term outlook and strategy kind of came together. But like with Casario, I do think. One, I don't. Who knows if they would have traded, you know, Clowney, or if they would have traded, uh, you know, Hopkins. But I do think if they would have made those decisions, he would have at least been able to get like a first round pick or you know, actually like a really good player for those uh, decisions instead of a third round pick and Barcavius Mingo and you know Jacob Martin and a third round pick that became you know Gary and Conley. Or if they decide to trade DeAndre Hopkins, they would have got first round pick like uh, the Vikings got when they traded Stephon Diggs instead of a second round pick and you know David Johnson and like a pick swap where they were able to you know get Brandon Cooks to take Ross Blacklock. So I do think they would have gotten more value out of there. I think they wouldn't have fallen the same offensive line issues that they fell into in 2019 before the Larry Tensel trade happened. Where the team like cons- like they consciously went into that season in 2019 where they wouldn't have Matt Khalil being the starting left tackle, despite him being bad for the previous four or five years and him being injured, you know, all that time before that too. And so I don't think the tensile trade happens. I think the other two trades happen. They at least get more value or like or like uh, competent value yeah. for those decisions that are made. I think those are kind of the the three big spots where you know, maybe the team is different too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's been I suppose there's probably been many points along the way where you thought, I wish you know you probably wish you'd have savored the good moments a bit more. I think because I always felt like you were on the you were on the crest of being competent playoff caliber football team and you were just you had a bit of a glass ceiling above your head just because it's offensive scheme and um and some personnel decisions and now you think you know you'd give uh, what you'd give to go back to sort of 10 and 6 or or just even like the opportunity they had you know like i think that was kind of the worst thing about the bill o'brien era like even though they were 10 6 even though they went to the playoffs like i still don't think they were a very fun team to watch like i I felt like yeah. every time we were watching a Texans game that there was a better team that existed that we weren't able to watch because Bill O'Brien was the head coach. And it was very like different than you know the Texans team in like 2011, 2012, where those teams, I think Gary Kubiak got like the most possible he could have got out of those teams. You know, and it didn't work out well um, in 12. You know, Schaub's arm fell apart. He broke his foot in 11. But like, they at least were like, they played up to their like utmost performance, you know. Whereas I think with Houston, the past you know four years since they drafted Deshaun Watson, and even before that by kicking the quarterback decision down the road and wasting a really great defense all those years, um, I think the difference between that time and those times earlier in the decade is that there was a really great football team out there. There was a Super Bowl caliber team out there, yeah. and instead we were stuck watching this team that was giving the ball to Carlos High 25 times a game, that was giving the ball to Alfred Blue 40 times a game, that was still running like this play action, like drag flat, you know, repass option offense instead of push small downfield to Sean Watson and watching a team that could score 40 points a game that was instead, you know, really, stru- really starving and really straining itself to score 27 points a game that finished the positive UA once during Bill O'Brien's entire tenure. I think that's like the frustrating thing because I do think, like, you know, in the, in the upcoming years, while the team is four and 12 or, you know, two and 14, whatever happens, there's going to be that kind of sentiment that, like, oh, I wish we, you know, enjoyed that time a lot more or, you know, y'all really didn't appreciate how good that time was. 
I don't think it was very, very particularly good. I think it was very frustrating, underwhelming, yeah. and it could have been, it should have been a lot better. But we just didn't have the opportunity for it to be better because of who the head coach was. Yeah, I think the twenty. I don't. I think the you you know you touched on the Matt Shab there when he did the quarterback sneak in Tampa and he got he got hurt and you thought that's our chance going that year. You know, there's been other other times like that. You know, you think the Mario Williams injury. And and watch rookie year, you didn't get to see them mm-hmm. play together. You know, there's been lots of moments you think just if that had happened, we might have been okay. And I think you'll there's pro. I think the the J- Jacoby Jones fumble in Baltimore as well in 2012. You know, even though it was even though you got TG Gates out there, you know, you got a defense to keep you in the game, and that 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 just pushed that game away for you. But I don't think. You know, and say in 10, 15 years' time, I don't think you'll ever look back on a game with more regret considering you were teeing yourself up for a home game against Tennessee when you're 24 points up on the road, when you should have gone for it on that fourth down, when you should have just punted rather than trying to run a fake fake punt, when you shouldn't have had the Andrew Carter back there and he fumbles. You know, mm-hmm. just three all very controllable decisions even if you get one, maybe two right, you don't start a, a t- you know, you, and look, the game might have been close, they might have lost it late in the fourth quarter, but, and you could have probably lived with that. But that 24 point lead, I don't think you'll ever, you'll never have highs like that. I don't think I've, you, there's ever been as many highs watching that game of the, they racked up scores quickly, you know, Kenny Stills runs down untouched in the end zone, you block a, you block a punt, um, you get a turnover, you know, and you, all these things, and it was like it was. It was just like it was all falling into place. You thought if it doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think we're definitely the, never going to happen now. Yeah, and, and like it's weird because that game too, like that everything fell in place for them to win that game. That was a game that you know, if you play a hundred times, the Chiefs probably win you ninety five times or whatever. That was one of the five times where Houston was subbed to win that game, and like never during the entirety of that game was like. Oh, they got this at all just because of how bad that pass defense was and how like pretty underwhelming that pass rush was. And like the pass defense had been bad for two years running. Like they should have fixed it the year before. They didn't, but I never even felt up 24 0, um, really comfortable at all in them winning that game. And I'll always hate Bill O'Brien for, you know, kicking that field goal, like you mentioned earlier on fourth and one, two. I, I do think the most fun part, though, of the Bill O'Brien era was probably like in 2017 when Watson had those back to back games yeah. against New England, yeah. Seattle. Like I think that was the high point of the entire, you know, six, you know, pl- six and a little bit more, six I guess in a quarter of years he was the head coach because like that was like oh he can he can run an offense that scores thirty one points and they have Deshaun Watson and this guy's the future and he's incredible and everything else and then he took that and then turned this into you know the offense that he ended up cr- you know, purposely creating after that which is you know unbelievable as well too but I do think that was the that from an entertainment aspect the high watermark. But like I do agree with you. Like the closest they ever got was that Chiefs game, but I never felt like comfortable or confident in that Chiefs game. And like a different football team would have won that game, you know, forty-one to twenty-seven. That wasn't led by you know Bill O'Brien as the general manager and Bill O'Brien as the head coach. Yeah, and that I think this this I actually watched that Seattle game at the weekend um, back, and I've talked about it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I, I was there, and I was. I couldn't believe what I was watching because I thought this is it. And I remember walking out of this, walking out of the stadium that day, saying, "You know," and I and I and I held that assertion for 
right up to the end of the 2019 season as well, was there is no way you won't win a Super Bowl with this quarterback. And if you'd have told me on that day in 2017 that by 2021, yeah, you'd have no good players on your roster, you'd have Watson want to leave. He's got 14 allegations of sexual misconduct against him in a civil court. You've got a pastor running the team. You've got Bob. Bob's passed away, and that was with the weekend. Bob's comments mm-hmm. got you know misconstrued in the media. You, you, Cal's running the team into the ground and can't even see it. It's actually quite harrowing. You, if you'd have told me all that then that day, I would I would have just laughed. You know, you it, you couldn't have made it up. It couldn't have gone. You probably couldn't have put it on more of a downward trajectory if you tried. But it should have been everything was possible and it's uh, I suppose at least we'll have the memories of maybe what could have been but I suppose that's just sports for you right yeah yeah I think I you have this conversation with you which I've had a really fun time this afternoon I think what I need to go do um, at least after the NFL draft is go back and watch those like five games that Watson star in 2017 to just kind of like remember like I, I didn't fully appreciate that yeah. in the moment yeah. because of like how like unnerving how unexpected it was yeah. um like how incredible he was during that time but i think uh and that season was kind of funny afterwards too like that second times game was pretty funny and all that but i, I think those games if i'm gonna go back and watch some texans games this year i think those watson starts in 2017 as i'll probably do if you watch the game at new england and they score just before the half. I think it's the it's either the Bruce Ellington or the, or they kick a field goal late in the half. I can't remember, but the ball the, the camera pans to the box and Bob McNair's there. And if you look at his face, he can't quite believe what's happening either. And he, I don't. Think, <laughs> and I, I think that was the moment that he thought, you know, we've got a good, we've got a real one here. Um, yeah. But maybe if if he's appraisal of his. Of his second-born son, had have been a bit more uh, forthright. We might not be in this position, Matt. I think, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun time. As I said to you before we came on, I said just hoping we can get back to some games this year because it's not been at games and enjoying what it is to be a Texan was always much more than the football. So I think at least you've got that to to hold on to but uh, it's certainly going to be a long old slog as we said and I think slog will be very much the uh, the mantra of this team before it's going to be ugly and and, uh, and pretty and pretty pretty downright awful until it gets good again and who knows when that'll be but um, yeah that will need to be that will need to be the title of the 2021 NFL films portion for the Houston Texans uh, the 2021 Texans embrace the slog uh, I have one last yeah. question for you. Are you going to keep the same podcast name now that JJ Watts in Arizona? Are you going to stick with it still? Well, yeah. Do you know it was a it was a rhetorical question, and actually reminiscing a bit here, but it was we were so there's me and three other guys. We've got gone to these games mm-hmm. uh, right since 2012. One of my friends worked in Houston, and uh, and we went to a game and uh, Buffalo at home. And that was Mario Williams' return game, and uh, Fitzpatrick was a quarterback. And and it just and it just kind of grew and grew and grew every year, and then we started going to road games and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And I remember coming, sitting in the airport, and we'd been, you know, we it was the Indianapolis game on the Sunday night where they won in overtime. Mm-hmm. You went up on the road. You kind of thought, actually, maybe you know, Oswald was actually you know it could be serviceable. You know, they ran outside zone. Lamar Miller looked good. 
he couldn't hit a crosser to save himself, but it was, it was, you know, you thought there, there's the guys were open. You thought it just needs to, to, to flow and be consistent rather than the sort of game plan approach. You just need to find what you're good at and, and stick to it. And then I remember the spiral fumble um, in, in Denver against the team that he chose not to sign, yeah, for, yeah. sign for us instead. And just having a sort of terrible hangover on the way back from getting sitting <laughs> in Denver airport. Uh, the flight was delayed because of weather. And it was, why did I do this to myself? And the turn up for what was about that rather than actually JJ Watt oh, just okay. was convenient that you could change it to them. So it was more of a rhetorical question of what I do why or why do you do this to yourself? Because it's certainly not for the glory. And I think that will continue to be pertinent for a it. while. So <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll stick with it until uh until we can find something else. But uh hope, you know, hopefully we can start talking about a positive football team at some point. But I think it's a long way off. But Matt, thank you very much for your time, mate. Yeah. Um, really great, really great discussion. Yeah, it was great talking today as well, too. And I think for sure, like all Texas fans have to have some level of existentialism to them to be able to keep watching, you know, year in, year out, you know. That's it. They don't make it easy, but it's certainly interesting. There's a lot to talk talk about. But uh, Matt, um, if you've not, if anybody's not checked out any Battle Red blog, there's a lot of good guys creating a lot of content, great podcast. Um, so go and check them out. Thank you very much for your time, Matt. And uh, keep in touch. Yep, have a great day.